morning. I have a lot of time for Nicodemus, this character that we meet for the first time here in John chapter 3. He actually appears three times in total uh, in the story of Jesus as recorded by John. Keep an eye out for him, you'll see him again, he'll make an appearance in a couple of chapters time. But Nicodemus, he's a man, I think, who is on a journey of faith. Um, Where we see him today though, poor Nicodemus, he's on the very start of that journey and he has no clue what Jesus is talking about in this conversation. And maybe you can identify with that. Maybe like Nicodemus, you're here this morning and you too are just starting to look seriously at Jesus for yourself. And there's a lot of new things. It's not easy to navigate what's going on and it doesn't all make sense. Not that Nicodemus is naive or anything. If you, you were told he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So he was a somebody. Uh, and we're told he was a Pharisee says verse 1, which means he belonged to the strictest and most serious sect of Judaism there was. So I'm guessing uh, this Nicodemus man, he was a serious and respected senior in his community, a teacher and a leader in his own right, who'd been there and done that, who'd seen it all. Except now he gets his first look at Jesus, up close and personal. And he doesn't know what he's looking at, really. Only there's enough there for him to be, be interested, to be curious. He comes to Jesus at night time, says verse 2, uh, which could be significant at the start of um, John chapter 1, the way it introduces Jesus, it talks about Jesus as being the light, the light of life, the light of mankind that shines in the darkness. And so any time uh, in the book of John that you hear light and dark and day and night time, uh, it could be John's trying to do something with his, how he's written this. In fact, the fact that this episode is set at night could be a part of that, the fact that Nicodemus is still very much in the dark. Uh, it could also be that Nicodemus is kind of sneaking under the cover of night to get to Jesus' place because he was curious, but he didn't want the other members of the Jewish ruling council that he was a part of to find out he was spending time with Jesus. Because even by this point, the Jewish leaders and Jesus weren't exactly seeing eye to eye. Uh, just the previous chapter, you'd seen Jesus have a run-in with the Jews. Uh, he kicked a whole bunch of people out of the temple when they were doing this market thing. He clears them out with a whip. Or maybe simply the reason he's coming to see Jesus at night time is that he's got a day job and night time's when he's free and they can have an uninterrupted conversation. Let's uh, try to give Nicodemus the benefit of the doubt here. I think he's at least coming with good intentions. He's seen Jesus' passion. He's seen some of what Jesus has done and is, let's say, genuinely curious to find out more about Jesus. Because what is seen has, has caught his eye. First thing Nicodemus says to Jesus, verse 2. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. That's a very clever conversation technique that this older man uses. Because uh, there's an implied question there, even in how he starts the conversation, even though he doesn't say it. He's saying, look, we know you're from God because of all the signs that you're doing. But now that he's sitting kind of face to face with Jesus, he's inviting Jesus to, I guess, fill in the gaps a bit. We know you're from God, so what have you got to say for yourself? It's like if someone said to me, so Johnny, I, I heard you're a pastor... 
and then just paused and waited for me to respond. I could say all sorts of things depending on how I'm feeling and where I wanted to take that conversation. But the gap you leave there begs for some sort of response. And I think Nicodemus is fishing. He's asking, I think, the so who are you question and, and what are you on about? Inviting Jesus to speak, to disclose something of who he is. And really the balls in Jesus' court just lollipopped over there for Jesus to, to, to hit if he wants to. And Jesus doesn't disappoint. He goes right on to it. And where Jesus takes the conversation is where he knew Nicodemus needed to go. Verse 3. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Strange place to take the conversation right off the bat. Kingdom of God, that's a phrase that Jesus uses a lot. Uh, When Jesus starts his ministry, he says the kingdom of God is at hand. John the Baptist preached a pretty similar message. His job was to prepare the way for Jesus. And John urged for people to repent because the kingdom of God is near. And this kingdom of God isn't physical turf like the geographical region in the UK, the United Kingdom, with their sovereign borders. And that. No, the kingdom of God is this inbreaking new movement more than it is a place where God is recognized as king where his will is done. And you might think, you know, you might have in your head this idealized picture of heaven that you have, uh, that's the kingdom of God. And maybe you're not wrong, but Jesus and John the Baptist seem to suggest that the kingdom of God isn't pie in the sky when you die sort of stuff. Some future paradise. The way that John and Jesus talk about the kingdom is that it's here, it's now. You can draw a line in the sand and say you're in or you're not now. Do you side with God and his kingdom or are you out? Remember, Jesus is talking to a Jewish man here about being in God's kingdom. And the Jews historically were the people of God. Nicodemus' ancestors had all the interactions that Israel's ever had with God. Uh, the interactions that's recorded for us in the 39 books of the Bible in the Old Testament, Abraham and Isaac, uh, the man Israel, who the nation's named after, Moses and the King David and all the prophets, they're all Jewish. And Nicodemus isn't just Jewish, he's a Pharisee. The most intense kind of Jew you could be when it comes to keeping the religious laws. And we're told he's part of the Jewish ruling council, for goodness sake, if anyone is in the kingdom of God, it's got to be this guy, isn't it? If you were Nicodemus on any given Sabbath, I think you'd feel pretty secure, religiously speaking. You'd be pretty secure. You've ticked all the boxes, and yet Jesus is going to shake that up, isn't he? Because let alone being in God's kingdom, Jesus says, you can't even see God's kingdom unless you're born again. Nothing to do with how many rules you keep or what nationality or who your ancestors are. Anybody and everybody must be born again, says Jesus. And this does pour Nicodemus' head in. What do you mean, born again? Verse 4. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And those of you who are mothers, you're thinking, damn straight you can't. It was hard enough the first time. 
Nicodemus has no way of processing what Jesus is saying to him other than the literal. So Jesus tries a second time. Verse 5. Jesus answered, I tr- Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everybody born of the Spirit. And does Nicodemus get it? No. Verse 9, how can this be? Nicodemus asked, You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said. You do not understand these things? The impression you get from what Jesus says to Nicodemus is that well, Nicodemus really should know better. He, of all people, should get it. And why? Because he is Israel's teacher. He knows the law and the prophets. He teaches other people about those things all the time. And in the law and the prophets, all of it points forward. From the time the law was given to the day each of the prophets wrote down what, what God is saying through them, they were all looking forward to the day that was coming. A great day that was always on the horizon from the perspective of the Old Testament writers. They anticipated this new day that was coming. And they spoke about it time and time again in all sorts of different ways. And the reason they were so optimistic about the future was because that was what God revealed to them and also because they knew their current circumstances were very average. Uh, Israel, through all their history, if you know it, was incredibly disappointing in holding their side of the bargain in relating to God. They cheated. They forgot. They constantly broke the laws that they said they'd keep. That's Israel, and they paid for it. The blood of the sacrifices was a constant reminder that they'd stuffed up again. And the trouble they get themselves into, the exile and the defeat that God allowed other nations to have over them, that was pretty much all because God's people kept falling short of being the people that they should have been. And that's what Israel lived with for centuries. But even given all that, the Old Testament writings aren't all emo and melancholy, even though the circumstances are so depressing. The prophets look forward in hope. You know, the, the beat is quite, quite, quite upbeat, looking forward to what God was promising to do one day. Come uh, look at a passage like Ezekiel 36 with me. Turn with me there if you have your Bibles handy. We'll be in Ezekiel for a little while, so it's worth getting there. Um, Ezekiel 36, which you'll find on, um, if you're using the Blue Pew Bibles, um, page 706. We're going to start reading from verse 18. Ezekiel 36, verse 18. And there are tons of passages all throughout the Old Testament prophets like this one. You'll get, a, you, you'll get a taste for where we're at very quickly. God says, through this prophet, So I poured out my wrath on them, on Israel, because they had shed blood in the land and because they defiled it with the idols. I dispersed them among the nations, and they were scattered through the countries. I judged them according to their conduct and their actions. And wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name, for it was said of them, These are the Lord's people, and yet they had to leave his land. 
I had concern for my holy name, which the people of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It's not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you profaned among the nations where you've gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you've profaned amongst them. The nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees so that you'll be careful to keep my laws. There's this beautiful hope that God isn't done with us yet because it's not just, because of our mess, God hasn't just left us. He's coming to cleanse. He's coming to renew. He's coming to restore. Even when your heart is black and, and broken and so far away, God says, I'm going to take out that heart of stone and give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new nature, give you a new spirit. Even when it feels absolutely hopeless. Can I show you another passage? It's actually just the next chapter there in Ezekiel 37. So just scan your eyes over the page. Uh, you might know this passage. The prophet Ezekiel continues, is given this almost nightmarish vision, uh, experience where God takes him to this human boneyard. Everywhere he looks, these dry human skeletons, long dead, picked clean, dry and sun-bleached, bone white. I read from verse 1, Ezekiel 37, 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth amongst them. I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, the bones that were very dry, God asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says, Come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am God. When I open up your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you 
and you will live. And I'll settle you in your own land. Kind of a, a trippy and kind of creepy vision that Ezekiel gets given about his own people. But you see it there, don't you? There's hope for this nation that's dead and done and dusted because what is it? God can wrap even flesh and blood around dry bones and make them live at his word, by his spirit. This wind comes uh, in, in the Ezekiel passage and reanimates the pile of bones that's all that's left of Israel. Now, fast forward 600 years from Ezekiel and you have Jesus here sitting with Nicodemus at night, telling him. Let me read those verses to you again. Hopefully some of that image, imagery from Ezekiel is still in your head. Uh, Jesus says to, to Nicodemus, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You are Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things? Come on, Nicodemus. You are a post-exilic Jewish teacher. Where else are you placing your hope if not in the cleansing and rebirth that can only come by the Spirit of God? Your nation is shot. We need the wind of God to rattle through our, our spiritual brokenness to stand us up on our feet and to give us new life. Because cleansing and filling with the Spirit of God is the only hope that Israel has. That's the fresh start that Israel needs. It's the fresh start that all of us need. And Jesus is the only one who can give it to you. If you've been following the series of talks we've done this year so far, you might have heard uh, John the Baptist has already come. And when Jesus, um, he saw Jesus, he said, look, he is the one, John the Baptist said, look, talk about Jesus, Jesus is the one who comes with authority to baptize with the Spirit of God. He is the promised Savior who's going to take away our sins, says John the Baptist. This one is the Word of God come in the flesh. The Word whose sound brings life and light, says the prologue. And just like the wind can't see it, you can't control it. Even in our day, you can't control it. You think anyone in Queensland was pretending that they were in control this week? Good luck. But you can definitely see its effects. It's what the Spirit of God is like. It does, the Spirit of God does its thing. It goes where it pleases. You can definitely hear its sound. And Nicodemus started the evening by saying, do you remember, I've seen the signs you're doing, Jesus. So he's hearing some sounds, but Nicodemus hasn't gotten what the signs are pointing to, which is the whole point of a sign. Signs point to things, but all Nicodemus can see is the sign. Look at verse 11. Very truly, Jesus says, I tell you, we speak of what we know, we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. If I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe, how then will you believe? I speak of heavenly things. How's he going to believe? How is Nicodemus going to understand? He's not going to get there on his own, is he? And the illustrations Jesus has been using, birth and wind, don't seem to be working at this point. 
for Nicodemus. He doesn't get it. Uh, But the conversation you'll see continues uh, next week. Actually, it turns into more of a a monologue after this point. Jesus perseveres with teaching this man. And John Mack's going to work on that talk for next week. But for for today, maybe you've figured out on your own, actually, as we've been reading this. You know what's stopping Nicodemus from being able to understand what Jesus is talking about? What does Nicodemus need? He needs the Spirit of God. He needs to be able to see. And to be able to see, he needs the Spirit of God. He needs to be born again. And if that applies to Mr. Jewish ruling council, if he needs it, then it applies to all of us. We need to be brought to new life by the Spirit of God. Our problem isn't just some small one that we can do with just some sort of bolt-on solution, like I can just pop over to the hardware store and get someone to fix this thing that's wrong in my life and I'll be right, thanks. Now we've got to stop pretending that what's wrong with us is no big deal, that we're mostly good with just some minor flaw. Our flaw is fatal. Our disease is terminal. And you may not be able to see the full extent of the symptoms, but the only future you have when you're empty of God is death. That's why Jesus came. Even for someone like Nicodemus. We need the Spirit of God to show us, to cleanse us, to work in us, and to bring us to new life. Start again. And that's why Jesus is a threat. And at the same time, he's the best thing that's ever happened for our world. Because what he's working towards, what he's working for is for a complete overhaul. That's what being born again means. So if you're pretty invested here, if you're established and you like getting away with what you do and you're willing to put up with the effects of sin in your life and in your world, then, or maybe you just haven't heard that there's an alternative, yeah, you're not going to accept what Jesus is saying. Maybe you can't see how it makes sense, let alone want to accept what Jesus is offering here. It's only those who hunger for righteousness, only those who mourn the way that things are here, and those who long for peace, those who know that they're spiritually bankrupt, They're the ones who jump at the prospect of being born again. And the greatest work of the Spirit is to show you, is to allow you to enter into the kingdom of God by first showing you where you stand and help you recognize what God is offering. Those of you, uh, I suppose there's a few of you in the room who already are following Jesus, what I want to do for you by sharing this story with you is to hopefully get you excited again as you head out into your week. To remind you about what God is doing in our world, what he's done in your life. He is the God who by his spirit brings life where there was no life. That's what he did in Jesus, what he continues to do by his spirit. Not because we're deserving, but because he's gracious. And he's on about new birth. How good is it, eh, to be partners with him in his work?
as we serve and as we not just become recipients but also conduits of God's grace to bring new life where there was none. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're just starting to see that Jesus is talking about something which you know you need. You want the Spirit of God to do something in your life. If that's you, please don't leave here this morning without talking to somebody about it. Talk to me or someone else here that you know. Because I'd love to hear your story uh, and to pray with you. Or maybe you're ready to pray now. And I'm not going to assume I know your situation, but I will in a second lead us in a very short and very simple prayer asking God to work in us. And I'll leave a gap for you to pray along if that's what you want to do. Would you pray with me? Father, you know where I'm at. Please bring new life where I am by your Spirit. Amen.